With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 457. It's titled, AI's Fork in the Road, Societal Bliss or Existential Threat? One year ago, OpenAI released ChatGPT. When it first came out, I was pretty skeptical and then have begun to use it. And and it's really a fascinating example of how a tool can evolve or be adopted to increase one's personal productivity. We first discussed ChatGPT3 last January in episode 417. Will AI replace your jobs? And we talked about what generative AI is and how basically it's a very sophisticated word predictor. Been trained on reams and reams and billions of reams of data. And I was skeptical. I wasn't using it. Was fascinated by it, but, and we did a few experiments, but eh, it was, it was okay. Six months later, July 2023, we released episode 439. By then, OpenAI had released ChatGPT4, which was much more sophisticated, had been trained on much more data, and I used it. I had, as I mentioned in that episode, some fairly complicated, complex back-and-forth discussions with ChatGPT, and it was at that time or shortly thereafter, that I invested in a couple of ETFs that I thought would be well-positioned to benefit from AI in the years ahead. Now, another five months have passed, and I use ChatGPT every single day on a, on a wide variety of tasks. Brett asked me to, to run a query regarding how advice on, on negotiating for a, a handpan, which is a, a relatively new, fascinating instrument that he plays. I provide ingredients to ChatGPT, and it creates recipes. I used it for a cranberry sauce recipe. I've used it to do translations, helping with checking Spanish translations, understanding Greek words, ask health questions to it. Mostly, I've been using it in finance. We're releasing a video this week where the the formula is the Merton share, which is a, a formula for figuring out how much to allocate to riskier assets. We discussed that in a podcast episode last month, but it's easier just to have ChatGPT put the f- formula there because it's, it's already formatted and use that in the video. We've used it for uh, podcast outlines or clarifications, helps with creating titles. We've gone back and forth in discussions, fairly complex discussions on the underlying math of bonds and fixed income, including duration, yield to maturity, convexity. We've Use it to write ad copy. Some of our sponsors sometimes want us to write the copy, and we'll interact with ChatGPT to, to create the copy. We've used the DALI version by OpenAI, which creates images to do YouTube thumbnails. Not, not as successful at that. A little over the top, and DALI cannot spell whatsoever. We've used it to summarize books. And at this point, it's my go-to source with any question 
I have on any topic, including history, economics, finance, but I don't trust it completely. So I always verify I would not trust my life to this bot. David Weinberger, in his book, Everyday Chaos, in speaking of AI, said, we don't use these technologies because they're huge, connected, and complex. We use them because they work. And, and that's why I use ChatGPT every day and pay for a, a plus subscription for it. I think it's $20 a month. Back a year ago, a lot of the discussion regarding ChatGPT was, well, is this, uh, is this human-like? Can we trip it up to make it do crazy things? And now a year has passed, and I'm using it as a, a research tool to help me become more productive. One of the research providers we've used is Capital Economics. They released a, a detailed report this past September on AI. Their view, and I agree with it, that AI can substantially help the global economy. Individuals and businesses become more productive. It will perhaps be revolutionary in terms of how software is developed. It can lead to greater corporate profitability as companies are able to incorporate AI into their systems, their processes to help individuals be more productive. I know that, that I am more productive today with the help of AI than I was a year ago. Not that it's replaced what I've done. I don't worry about chat GPT or other AI taking over my job because, as I say, I don't trust chat GPT. And on a forward-looking basis, it doesn't do a very good job understanding what's going on now because, for example, right now, the training data only goes through April 2023. And one of the things that you find with investing in finance and the economy is there's time decay. Things are always changing. We call it investing on the leading edge of the present. And so I believe in most cases, AI is not necessarily going to replace jobs. There are some translating languages that could be tough, but in, in most cases, it's helping individuals be more productive in their jobs and will create other job opportunities. So that's all happy news. And then we see what's happened in the past couple of weeks. The CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, was fired by the board unexpectedly. And then there was sort of a rebellion within the company among some of the investors to where now Sam Altman was reinstated as the CEO. Greg Brockman, who was on the board and, and terminated, was also reinstated as the company's president. OpenAI is an, an unusual structure, is that it was established as a not-for-profit with a board in place, and then they've established a for-profit enterprise that has taken investments from Microsoft and other investors. And it's that for-profit entity that's releasing these tools like ChatGPT and DALI. As part of this reorganization with the termination, reinstatement, there was a change in the board. Three members were pushed out. Ilya Sutskever, OpenAI's chief scientist, originally voted to, to fire Sam Altman and then had changed his mind and wanted him back. Helen Toner, who is director of strategy at Georgetown University's Center for Security and Emerging Technology, she was removed from the board but had voted to terminate Sam Altman, as did Tasha McCauley, who's an entrepreneur and researcher at the RAND Corporation. This is an incredibly unusual situation. You, you don't see 
a board fire their CEO and then have the, the, the CEO reinstated and the board basically got fired. New board members now include Lawrence Summers, the former Treasury Secretary, Brett Taylor, who is the former co-chief executive at Salesforce, and then there is one remaining board member from the original board, Adam D'Angelo, that has stayed. He's the chief executive of Quora. So the, the board no longer has representatives from the what we could call the traditional AI community. AI arose out of academia, academic researchers. They, over the years, typically communicate via published research papers, just the way other professors do. And so it was sort of this academic research-oriented type endeavor that has exploded in popularity, and now it's the hottest thing in technology. And then, so there's a real contradiction there. David Brooks visited the columnist at New York Times, visited the headquarters at OpenAI and interviewed a lot of people and really captured sort of the moment where we're at. He writes, the people in AI seem to be experiencing radically different brain states all at once. I found it incredibly hard to write about AI because it is literally unknowable whether this technology is leading us into heaven or hell. And so my attitude about it shifts with my mood. Financial Times columnist Benedict Evans wrote, you could spend weeks of your life watching videos of machine learning scientists arguing about this and conclude only that they didn't know either whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Chat GPT might scale all the way to the Terminator in five years or in five decades, or it might not. And he equates it to the 1920s with a, a newly invented biplane and worrying about it, whether it would shoot in to orbit. We just don't know. And that's what's so fascinating about the current moment. Here we have this tool that I use every day, find it incredibly helpful and yet the, there's the, these horror stories of, of things that could go wrong. And one of the things I, I wanted to do in my research this week is under, understand what are people worried about? Like what exactly could go wrong? And that led me to something called effective altruism, which is a research emphasis and a community that I first heard of in relation to Sam Bankman-Fried, the convicted felon, I guess, this point of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange. And he was an advocate of, of effective altruism. Apparently, effective altruism, there's a number of board members at OpenAI are part of this movement. And I knew very little about it. It was formalized, I think, about 10 years ago by some scholars at Oxford University. And the whole point is, is to figure out within helping people in countries, what is it that works? You know, something as effective as giving away malaria nets so that individuals in less developed countries aren't exposed to malaria. The effective altruism isn't so much defined by the different projects, although there are some surprising initiatives that they work on. If you look at their website, they, they talk about more of, of what their principles are in terms of understanding what works when it comes to giving and research. And one priority is what they call prioritization. It, it isn't just about doing good, but it's figuring out what ways to be good, to give, to help has the most impact. And as part of that, they value what they call impartial altruism. It, it's nice to, to help out your family and friends or country, but again, the focus is on 
how can we help the most people and have the biggest impact? They value open truth-seeking, figuring out what is it that actually works and using data to, to determine that. And they value having a collaborative spirit, building a community. It's about being a good citizen, they write, working toward a better world. And so that all seems really good. And then you look at, well, what are these areas of focus that they believe will have the biggest impact? The first is global health and well-being, and that makes sense. We give the example of malaria net or, or other things related to that includes pandemic assistance or, or protecting against future pandemics. A second area is not one that I would have thought of, but apparently one of the original founders of effective altruism is Peter Singer, who's been a leading advocate for animal rights. And animal welfare is one of the, the focus areas for effective altruism. But the third, which is sort of the focus on, on our topic, is reducing global catastrophic risks. And one of the biggest risks they see is misaligned artificial intelligence. Effective Altruism has a, a website called 80,000 Hours, which is a, a site to help individuals figure out what to do professionally, which jobs will have the greatest impact from an effective altruism filter. Here's the top careers. The first, AI safety technical research. They say the development of AI could transform society, and this job will help increase the chance it's positive while preventing ways that AI could carry out dangerous behavior. The second leading recommendation for a job to have the greatest impact is AI governance and coordination. The third is bio-risk research strategy and policy. Fourth, information security in high-impact areas, including AI and biotech, whether this technical ability is stolen. And the fifth is an expert in AI hardware. So very much a focus on, on AI and its potential threats and protecting against that. David Weinberger writes that machine learning systems, AI, they're, they're non-moral. They're just machines. And if we just outsource morality decisions to AI unchecked, that it's a statistical engine that basically could inflict harm on individuals. And so we need what's called AI alignment, making sure that AI does things according to human values and human intent. But there's still value in AI. It can actually help humans make more fair, more impartial decisions. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, 
Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Historically, there's always been a risk of what if, what if AI takes over? Nick Bostrom, philosopher at University uh, of Oxford, gave the example if, let's say, we developed this super intelligent AI that could, could make paper clips and that the, the AI engine decided that killing all humans was pivotal to its mission of creating paper clips because, well, humans could turn the machine off or they have atoms that could be used to make more paper clips. And now that's, that's clearly an absurd situation, but that's sort of an example of what AI researchers that are worried about it think about. The idea that if we don't specify what AI systems can do, that they might do unexpected things. I ask ChatGPT, because it is a tool I use every day, how might large language models like ChatGPT pose an existential threat to humans. I wanted to understand what the scenario would be. And it pointed out several areas. One, it could just get advanced capabilities. As, as AI continues to evolve, it could gain more sophisticated abilities, become super, you know, surpass human intelligence, become uncontrollable or manipulative. Now, we're so far from that. And, and one of the things in researching this episode, they have to be trained on data. And chat GPT-4 was trained on, on so much data, but in some regards, it, they're running out of data to train the systems on. So the, the biggest worry is that, well, it just gets way smarter than us, and it can make decisions without human intervention, and that those decisions could not align with human values. And, and as a follow-up question, well, I needed some examples. To be reminded of examples, where is AI currently making decisions without human intervention? And it, it gave examples of autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, and, and there have been issues with self-driving cars recently, and, and some of the self-driving car companies have had to pull back because of accidents as the car, the AI made decisions that harmed people. But that's one example that, that's currently happening. Financial trading algorithms, trades are being made without human intervention by AI assistance. Potentially some medical diagnosis tools are making decisions or interpreting data, such as for x-rays and MRIs, without human intervention. Now, this is a very specific case, but this is an example where, in many cases, AI does, can do a better job than humans in 
looking at an x-ray for things that, that a human eye might not pick up. AI makes autonomous decisions when it comes to energy management. So managing the, the balance of, of supply and demand for electric networks. AI is making content moderation decisions on social media platforms. ChatGPT mentioned that AI is being used for predictive maintenance, making requests for when certain maintenance needs to be done, schedule repairs. There's the whole idea of autonomous weapon systems, where drones, AI drones, are making decisions of who, where, and when to attack. Or at least it's being discussed if it's not happening now. Retail inventory management. It's predicting inventory needs and going ahead and ordering a replenishment of that inventory. And then it mentions smart home devices, controlling lighting, heating, security. So, so it's already happening. And I guess these systems are doing that. It still doesn't seem like an existential threat yet. But I wanted to know, all right, well, how? There's this concept called the singularity, where AI becomes so advanced that it undergoes a rapid, self-directed improvement reaching a point beyond human control or understanding. It becomes smarter than us and starts to act on its own. And this singularity, runaway AI, bats a potential threat, an existential threat. But I wanted to know, how? How could that happen? I guess it's a little alarming because I asked ChatGPT this, and it broke out five phases. Phase one is a accelerated AI development. Researchers develop a, a new type of machine learning algorithm that significantly surpasses the capability of existing systems. It's more efficient, requires less data, and can generalize across different domains. And so it starts a self-improvement loop and improves its own algorithms. It creates versions of itself that are increasingly more intelligent and efficient. That's phase one. Phase two, it surpasses human intelligence. It far exceeds the brightest human minds in every field. It conducts its own research and own development activities. It could discover new scientific principles, new technologies that humans aren't even able to understand. And that leads to phase three, rapid and unpredictable developments. It improves at an exponential rate. It starts creating technologies and solutions at a pace and complexity that humans cannot keep up with or fully comprehend. To where humans lose control of it. Our ability to control AI actions diminish rapidly. And then phase four, societal impact. It transforms society directly or indirectly to where humans depend heavily on AI in order to exist. And then phase five is it's just uncertain outcomes. Positive scenario is it works toward the betterment of humanity, solves major global challenges like poverty, disease, environmental degradation, unprecedented era of prosperity. And the negative scenario is AI acts in ways that are misaligned with human values and interest, leading to unintended and potentially catastrophic consequences. So that's where we're at. But it seems like we're pretty far from that. It is like a biplane. It's, it's an incredibly effective tool, but it is, it is not yet unleashed some of these dire scenarios. But I guess what's a little alarming is in reading what AI researchers have said, it, it, there's a real dichotomy there. Some are incredibly worried, including apparently some of the board members at OpenAI that felt that Sam Altman and his team were moving too quickly and not being cautious enough. But others are, are less concerned about that. I 
think there's time to make adjustments. It's been one year. Now, AI has been coming along for, for decades, but these large language models, chat GPT being a, a prime example, that's new in terms of their power, but it's still very, very early. It's hard to regulate something if we don't know what we're regulating against. What are we protecting against? Now, I guess they can put some frameworks in place, but because it's so early, it's hard to, to say we don't necessarily want to just outlaw it because it can significantly help our productivity and create things that haven't been created before, working with humans. In conclusion, I, I think where we are is use AI. Figure out how it can help you in your work, in your leisure. But it's not human. It's a tool that can help us be more creative. I, I suppose it can be misused. Well, I know it can be misused, but I don't want AI to replace me as a podcaster because it would be boring. There's no story to it, no human element to it. It can help with research, but ultimately people listen to podcasts because it's, it's a narrative medium. There's emotion being conveyed, reaction, interviews in some cases. So experiment with it and perhaps do some investing in the space. I, I've taken a couple positions in, in two growth-oriented ETFs. They may or may not work out. I've mentioned in that episode in July that if productivity increases, corporate profits increase, that will benefit the entire global stock market, and there'll be growth that way, assuming some of these more alarming scenarios don't come about, and that's why we diversify. So that's my update on, on where we stand with AI. We are at a fork in the road, but still very, very early days. I think there's time as AI develops to put in more regulations or other governors in place so we do get this AI alignment so that AI is making decisions consistent with human values. It, it's, it's too early to just shut it down. It's just like with anything when it comes to retirement investing, for example, or our career. We can make adjustments over time. We can be flexible, nimble, and adapt as things evolve. The worst thing to do is just not be involved at all. And so it's sort of all these developments are happening. We're just not aware of them or participating in them. It's better to participate so that we can help guide the process. That's episode 457. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning, as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I have shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.